Alright, so... Now I'm gonna move really close to you. That's fine. See, this is why we don't have good intros. So, uh, today, I'm here again with Lion Curie. He forgot his headphones. I got my headphones on. Oh, there's just too little. Yeah, no, I got them. There's plenty of my shirt. Today, we're gonna be talking about a lot of things. Uh, We're gonna be talking about internal queuing, external queuing, um, perhaps the the fallacy that you need compound lifts, um, a lot of stuff. And so... There's recently been this idea on the internet of kind of the the importance of the mind-muscle connection. And one of our buddies, Lexner, is, is all into this right now. And I think both of us would agree that this would be called like an internal cueing. So like thinking about muscles working. So the, and, and you generally wouldn't want to do this when you're lifting heavy weight. So when you're doing a compound movement with heavy weight, what we're after is probably unconscious competence aka you don't have to think we give you an external cue like push the floor or throw it through the roof or something like that so that you just increase get it. the weight up get the weight up which is what they said in the x get the weight i don't know how you externally cue a barbell curl um but they figured out a way yeah i think that's one pretty poorly um <laughs> and so i i think this is this is my thought process is that when you change things to an internal locus of con- like control or an intro cue, you're, you're generally going to focus on muscles activating. You're going to focus on the pump. You're probably going to do that better in your upper body than your lower body just because you're used to training and seeing those muscles, those mirror muscles. You're probably going to do it better with your chest and your biceps than you are with your, your back muscles. Um, I mean, how Unless many people... you're me. Yeah. How many people other than you can find their lats? I can find them for them. That's true. Uh, find it- my own and everyone else's. Yeah, you it's taught my, me. I got a decent last spread my, I'm up to like, what am I, 23 inches wide? the most wide? useless special power ever. My wife's really pumped about, yeah. my, about how wide my back is. Uh, I did a lot of mid to lower traps today just because I can't train my upper traps because there's these there's these rules <laughs> that I have on my on my hypertrophy. It's all the compromises. It's, you know, it's little things. Um, and so when we get into this, I think, this is my hypothesis, when we do this internal cueing when we're thinking about this mind muscle connection i i hypothesize that we turn most everything into like bfr because you're doing high reps you're kind of shitty bfr because mm-hmm. you're because you're gonna do you're gonna maybe it's it's not bad i don't think it's bad but i i think that if we can get people to a point where they don't have to think because we know that the driving force of muscle hypertrophy is muscle tension mm-hmm. um and then we can, if we can get them to a point where they just execute the exercise and they don't have to think that's probably better. But how do you, I know that you take people and you kind of coach them through this process. You want them to find and feel certain things in the beginning and then come back to that unconscious competence and at the end. Yeah, I mean, I think that there there is a spectrum of usage for anything, right? I think in the beginning, probably a lot of internal cueing is going to be helpful for most exercises. Uh, maybe not big exercises like squats and deadlifts and things. That, but I could even make that argument, and, and I have made that argument and helped other people to get over uh, pain syndromes and things of that nature or technique errors by doing that. But I think that it, there is a time and a place for, for all of it. So, yeah, like you said, you're probably going to – like one thing that we can almost guarantee by adding an internal cue is that they're probably not going to move as much weight. right? Is that what, kind of where you were getting at with that, with the reducing mechanical tension and kind of doing like – DFR in a sense. Yeah, I think we see that with anyone who kind of changes that from an external, like I'm going to push as much weight as possible and they move to this, I want to find and feel things. Um, they inevitably drop weight significantly. Um, and that may not be a bad thing if you're still going to that point of momentary failure. But I think if you're if you're not taking, a, that might work for like a bicep curl or even like a leg extension or something like that, some single joint movements. But if you're thinking about us, to me, when I see it done with a squat, it je- I see it mostly just lead to tentativeness. Mm-hmm. And then when you don't blast out of the hole, we know. So to me, we have these, it's, it, we have these strength curves. And so some exercises lend themselves really well to this. So maybe like a bell-shaped strength curve would love when it, like that's like a bicep curl. Right, that could that could lend itself well to this. But when you have, like, say, linear ascending strength curves where your your low point is in the hole, so the you can produce the least amount of force in the hole, I think you're going to get in trouble here because you're just going to get stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you if you just 
push it as hard as you can out of the hole, you're probably going to get to the point where you have leverage and you're now in a bench press, your triceps can take over. Or in a, in a squat, all of a sudden you can get to your glute max and your quads um, out of your adductors. And so to me, I think if, if we think of it not necessarily as good or bad, but as more exercise specific, and there might be a time like we've used this is that if you if you change the strength curve of the squat, like you band it up, you add some accommodated resistance, I think then, because then, then it's not that hard out of the hole. Yeah. Then you can have, then you can probably get a good mind-muscle connection. It, it's going to be terrible. I mean, you're going to, we've both done it, you're going to want to quit. Um, but I think then you can get, you can feel some, you can feel more of your quads, feel more glutes. Because at the end of a squat or a bench, you're essentially going to be decelerating the weight at the top yeah. of that. Yeah, you can't last through it as you would in like a throw or something. And I think at that point, you're probably talking more about performance and speed development anyway. But I think it still applies for strength and hypertrophy, for sure. So, yeah, we know we're going to have to drop the weight a little bit if we're going to focus on internal cues. But I think if you look at that acutely, then you would say, well, that's bad. You know, we're reducing mechanical tension and that's a problem. But if we're using that for a specific reason, like I'm always looking ahead. I'm always thinking of the next phase of training. I'm always thinking of the next year, two years, whatever it is. And I, I think that that's, that can be beneficial. Like if you're someone whose uh, back hurts every time that you squat, like there's probably something going on with the technique and we're going to have to take away some of that neural drive in performing the exercise and focus on something else. Maybe that is a specific muscle. Maybe it's a different in external cue. Either way, it's probably going to pull away from your natural pattern and probably going to result in, in a reduction in weight. But there's powerlifters talk about this all the time. Like I had to change my technique and every once in a while, it'll, it'll result in more weight in the, in the short term. But often it's, we have to pull a bunch of weight off the bar. I have to start focusing on a different either internal or external cue. But in the end, uh, the result is that they're able to either do the movement pain-free or they're just, they uh, lost some amount, uh, they gained some amount of efficiency that they didn't have otherwise. Because I think, you know, there's a, this concept of like, you know, if you put a maximal amount of weight on the bar, you're going to move it with the most efficiency, right? Is that, mm -hmm. that's kind of the concept. But that only applies to the whatever motor pattern you have currently. We can build new motor patterns. So you may have, as most people do when they first start bench pressing, it's some kind of like crazy elbows out, like torquing thing. Like I would argue that's probably not a very efficient motor pattern for the bench press, but for them in that moment, their brain knows how to use the least amount of energy. Mm -hmm. So for that moment, it is the most efficient Thing. So when I think we're looking yeah, at yeah, because they've never used that, they don't know how to fire that. Yeah. They don't know how to fire that motor pattern, anyways. Yeah, like I mean, it, like if they're not, I mean, as a very simple example, I mean, if they're not used to arching in the bench press, um, and I teach them how to arch, they're just going to reduce the range of motion. They're going to move more weight. Mm -hmm. um, so it doesn't necessarily mean that they got stronger. That's good or bad. It's just as a, a cute example. So I think when we're looking at these studies that say you know, uh, an internal an internal cue is going to result in poor performance, I, I think we need to keep in mind that they're talking about the short term. So with that being said, I think that the ultimate goal is is all external. Even so you're saying even in those even in like a biceps curl or even in those single joint exercises, you want to see people just getting savage with it in, in a controlled fashion, like mm -hmm. controlled eccentric, controlled concentric. I would I would tend to agree. Um for sure. And, but I think we get in, when we get into, one of my big things is kind of performance in these compound lifts at, for the, at the price of a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. So say you want to do, say you want to get really good at like barbell overhead pressing, which is one of my least favorite exercises ever. And I think you're no actually good at it though. I know. Cause I'm super patho. Terrible. I love um, it. And, and so, like, which turns into, like, just massive extension. Standing incline press. But, like, a standing barbell press, like, what is the limiter there? The limiter is, what are you using? Like, medial, anterior delts, medial delts, and then if you can get it here, you if, like, you can get it here, then you can, some if you can arch your back enough and get tricep leverage, somehow you can get it up. So if you're, if you're chasing performance in that lift, I just don't know... Yes, you need an external locus of control, but 
I don't know what you're doing. Same thing like from a hypertrophy standpoint, there's so many better ways for me to train those individual, if I wanna train the anterior delt or I wanna train the medial delt or I wanna train your triceps, there's so many better exercises that I can pick mm. than that exercise, which is gonna put your rib cage and your pelvis in a shitty position to load. And, and so when we, when if someone wants to get good at that, I think we, we teach them how to do that in the least deleterious way. Mm. But for, for like a standing overhead barbell press, if you wanna get really good, you kind of have to be really shitty is that the is <laughs> yeah. like is that the like is that the only exercise that you see like that no i think that would apply to a lot of exercises and i think we could just kind of summarize this as like you sh unless you need to be doing an exercise you don't need to be doing an exercise so yeah. the, we have know, this like, fascination with the barbell like everybody somehow somehow like why do they need to barbell squat why do they need to deadlift like a deadlift is if we really think about it it's a pretty shitty exercise like it's that, good for deadlifts it's good for deadlifts <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. like it's it's not going to really overload your hamstring the limiter for most people is going to be erectors or grip mm -hmm. um you can get rid of that with straps um most people are going to be shitty off the floor um but if you really like deadlifting fantastic or but you need to do it for your sport or if you or if you like powerlifting, you're gonna have to deadlift you're gonna have to squat so, and you're gonna have to bench but i think that if you really if you want to get really really good at powerlifting, you're gonna have to not probably not do those in an ideal fashion. Mm -hmm. Would would you agree? It, to to a degree, you know, I I think that there's there's a a large ideal. range of what's ex, what's what acceptable, right? You know, so I I think that that's going to look very different from from person to person. I think if you get to the point where you know you're pulling seven hundred pounds off the floor and you don't have any pain, I think you're probably doing okay. Or you're a psychopath. Either way, like I'm jealous of you. Um, you know, I, I think that like there is going to be certain times where again like changing that motor pattern will actually create more efficiency long term um so i think that there is some kind of technique building involved in this but at some point yeah it's it's probably just going to be about moving the weight yeah i mean it's your sport like i don't think anyone's looking at football players um which is also a sport i believe yeah, football in, Ameri sport. in america okay mm -hmm. um yeah it, where you know no one's no one's looking at the way that they're uh, running past someone or, or telling them that they should be doing it differently when they cut or whatever. I mean, yeah, uh, they, they coach that up. They I coach mean, it, but in the moment, you know, in that. Oh yeah, the, in the game. In the game, it's yeah. not like the coach is gonna pull. Yeah, like, hey, you know, you got past the guy, but I would have preferred that you would. I might uh, tell, you know, tell him to take a different angle. Potentially, I you know, I've never watched the sport before, so I don't really know how that stuff works. But uh, in but, powerlifting, that would be a really bad thing to stay in, 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 in a moment, meet. Like, yeah, hey, yeah. hey, I, I noticed that you know your hips are here, and you, that would be terrible. Yeah, to say yeah. to someone. At that point, you've kind of built up what you have, and you're going to use that, and your your brain's probably going to know the most efficient way to do it, and you would just hope. Uh, that that is not a uh, something that's going to result in injury. So let's talk about the squat because I think the squat is, is it's getting people love the squat. People love to squat and then they love to squat deep. Like there's if you if you somehow like short a squat, you're an asshole. Like you're immediately it's immediate blasphemy. Um, like partial squats in our in our industry are all of a sudden the worst thing known to man. And I agree, like watching watching Miles Garrett, who is a who's a defensive end for the Cleveland Browns, doing Baseball. doing yeah Baseball. <laughs> doing quarter squats, uh, was was pretty terrible to watch. But but I think we really need to take a step back and his his squats just look terrible all around. Um but the guy's a freak. Like he's he's and so yes, a lot of times maybe him squatting six seventy five for seven inches is a bad thing. But you could make an argument from a power development standpoint that a partial range of motion squat, I mean, because if I'm going to tell you to vertical jump, you're not going to, hopefully, you're not going to go all the way down into a, an old ass to grass. You're going to go partial yeah, range yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're going to jump up. Yeah. Uh, and the reason, from a stress standpoint, too, like a guy can put that much weight on his back, he's probably going to be able to handle. Yeah, he's probably going to be able to get handle getting over. hit um, and dealing some hits. And, and so when we, when we think about the squat, the squat is probably not the ideal exercise for a couple things uh from a hypertrophy standpoint if you're thinking this from uh, the squat is a squat so if you want to get good at squatting from a powerlifting standpoint you're probably going to have to get a coach and figure out you're going to have some compensatory patterns right because if you want to get good at anything there's going to be a there's going to be a sacrifice mm -hmm. um and and so but if we're just talking about the general population and squatting we probably want 
a more knee dominant squat, not a hip dominant squat. And I think most people in have been taught like we ha- we spent even ourselves like we spent a lot of, we've spent a lot of time over the last couple of years trying to get out of this more hip dominant squat and kind of moving keeping a rib cage over a pelvis, which is pretty difficult. And so when we think about the squat, a lot of this research that we see on muscle activation and even hypertrophy is kind of in this prototypical hips back squat. We would assume. We would assume where you're where once you get to depth, your limiter is gonna be adductor magnus. And then as you come up, you're gonna decelerate so you're never really overloading the quads. And then very maybe, little knee translation forward, right? So you're not gonna get any hypertrophy erectus femoris. Maybe you get you're not going to get like a squat is really a bad exercise for the hamstrings because they're kind of antagonistic. It's not doing anything for the hamstrings. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we're really thinking about the squat, like what is it training? It's training adductors. But I think if we change it up, if we if we if we're kind of using this idea of positions first and then kind of movement, so positions position of an axial skeleton, right, and then movement of an app- appendicular skeleton, and then the load. Mm-hmm. And so how would you, what are you thinking, what are you looking for when you see a general population, when you're coaching up that squat for the first time? I mean, it should just look like a straight line, essentially. Uh, you know, with their, their head is stacked over their thorax, the thorax is stacked over their pelvis, and their pelvis is over their, their feet. Um, you know, that would be the ideal squat. And I think most people can actually get there with uh, external loading in the right position, which is generally more anteriorly loaded. So like uh, a so forward goblet squat. Thinking like a goblet squat, but not a goblet squat here, having the weight out in front, the elbows forward with the, the thorax translating backwards to a degree. Um, like that's something that most people can get into over time. And that's more... Especially if they haven't been taught how to squat another way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I'd much rather take someone from, from the beginning than have someone who, who has a 600-pound low bar back squat and teach yeah. them how to squat like that. Like, the chances are, like, I, I'm not going to be able to get them to ever change that pattern over completely, but at least I can give them a different option have some variability within that squat pattern. Because I, I don't think that necessarily doing that type of squat is bad. That Like, I think that you could probably still like i think there's it's so individual from person to person and like what they're actually using so i i always take those well you're a really good deadlifter so you tend to turn your squat into it's a fucking deadlift but i can tell you what like my my quads are sore the next day when i after i squat i feel my my quad like if you looked at it you'd be like that's a terrible squat by our standards Mm -hmm. um by most standards they would say that that i probably need to get my ass out more um but like it's it's just very individual. From and that's how you've gotten really, really strong in that pattern. And yeah, just completely drill that in. And I don't know that it's not that's necessarily a, a bad thing either. It's just it would be a bad thing if I also was not able to uh, present a, a decent looking squat as we're talking about with the knees translating yeah. forward, the heels still down on the ground, uh, the thorax is more translated back uh, compared to forward, uh, the head not going forward. I, I, if you can't do that, because I, I think at this point we're talking about just uh, just generally being able to move well. So you're talking about not being stuck in a pattern. Yeah. So like yeah. what we see a lot of compensatory strategies in in pro, like maybe a crossfitter or a powerlifter that only has this one extension based strategy, mm-hmm. they're going to likely get in pain. But if you can show me variability. Then, if you can show me that you can do a knee dominant squat, maybe you're not going to be able to do as much weight. Probably not if you've gotten really strong in that other squat. Mm-hmm. But if you can show me that variability, and if you're starting from square one, we're probably teaching that other squat. Would yeah, you agree? For sure. Yeah. And then at some point, like if I'm taking someone, if I think about taking someone uh, through a a beginner to powerlifter, for instance, mm-hmm. where like. Ultimately, as a powerlifter, we want to be able to squat as much weight as possible. I want to take advantage of levers. I want to put the bar in a position that allows them to move most efficiently with the least amount of effort, um, which I guess would be the definition of efficiency. Uh, Nonetheless, uh, I still at the same time want to be teaching them how to... Uh, to, I want to first begin with with that type of ideal squat that we're speaking, and of. then see where it breaks down. And just, and yeah, see if they, from and it's, their joints. See if they get better. Yeah, and, and and like best case scenario, that's the way they squat. I mean, that's how bad squats. It's, yeah, it's and pretty, some people fucking. Yeah, I mean, that's how genre squats. Yeah, like uh, you know, uh, you know, if you've been working <laughs> outside your whole life, um, or if you're you're wider than you are tall, 
like you'll probably do pretty well with that type of squad. Like you might be able to build on that. Um, gotta, you got to really maybe have a really heavy head. Yeah, or have a very heavy yeah, head, which I yeah I, I sort of think I feel like Pat's head would be it extremely looks, it looks heavy. heavy. It looks it really looks heavy. heavy. Um, yeah, it would definitely be the bowling ball I would pick. But you know, so if, if you can if you can build that pattern up, and then at some point when you start to progress through this this uh, training experience, like at some point they're going to put a bar on their back, and at that point I'm just gonna kind of see what happens because if I've given them that their first experience is like this knees forward kind of like ideal thorax stacked over pelvis type of squat and they still want to dump forward and I've taught them all these things. I They know how to squat properly, but that still seems to be the most efficient pattern for them and it, it, it doesn't produce any pain. And that's probably going to be the way that we're going to squat. We're probably going to do a low bar squat. There's probably going to be more forward lean. And if I'm they not want a power lift. If they want a power lift. Um, and I could potentially make that argument for hypertrophy as well. Um, that Let's maybe make- maybe it just feels better. I mean, that's kind of the. I'm going to run through this experiment myself to see because um, my squats have gotten horrendous over the past year or so. And I'm going to run back through with front squats and, and see if I can get a little bit more upright again. But I always seem to come back to a more forward lean back squat, mm-hmm. and I I always feel fine there. I never really. It never hurts. You probably feel fine until someone told you that that was terrible. Yeah, exactly. I never, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh God, I'm yeah, it hurt here. Yeah, it was weird because I went through, initially I think I learned, you know, at some point, at some point I was just squatting you know, when I first started, like yeah. no one was telling me anything. And then someone told me that I needed to spread my knees out more and get my ass back. And so I was doing that and then started to bring it back. Um, and like, I, th- I think, like, again, if you can just figure out where you're, you're most efficient and not painful like i don't think it really it really is that big of a concern but oh i was gonna say regarding the hypertrophy is like you know even when i am using what looks like more of a hip or back dominant type of squat still feel a lot of my quads you know so i i I still think that there's something going on there i don't think that we need to have this like uh archetype of a of, of movement all of the time but i think that we should be able to demonstrate that at some load or in it with some uh position or, or just like if I gave you external load in a different way, then you can, you can demonstrate that. But maybe when I put the bar on your back, you're not able to. And if I have that, then I'm, I'm going to be fairly happy. And, uh, you know, again, if, it, if there's, if it's producing pain, then we probably have to bring it back and then we probably have a low hanging fruit there. Like if your back hurts when you squat and your, your nose is facing the ground, then I think we, we could have something we can squat fix morning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which tends to be the way. That I first time I dur- first time I saw you squat, I was like, "Yeah, it's 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 pretty." Wild and, and, and I mean, that was with like four hundred five pounds on your back with the pause, um, and so which is a lot longer than I thought. Six seconds, <laughs> six second pause. Six seconds is a lot saw, longer when you actually count the seconds. When you actually count, and you don't yeah. just count the six. I can count the six real fast. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about this idea of, and so this this kind of drives me crazy too, is is this idea that from compound lifts are going to be the best for hypertrophy because i i have this idea that you're going to run out of runway essentially like if you once you get your squat fairly solid like you're just going to systemically you're like the stressor isn't going to be local muscular tension which i which is the driver that we know of for hypertrophy Mm -hmm. and so same thing for bench press same thing for deadlifting Eventually, those just aren't going to be the exercises that are going to get you more hypertrophy, mm-hmm. in my in my opinion. And so, so say you have to take, for me, if I want to get my bench press better, I'm probably going to have to do like some kind of triple undulating prioritization model where I'm doing strength work, I'm doing power work, and then I maybe maybe I'm doing hypertrophy work. I'm probably going to have to have some really really complicated strategy, and then I'm going to have to peak. Um, and and I don't think that that is going to get me more muscle whereas it whereas if i spent more if i just kind of maintained my bench press because i like bench pressing and then i used a bunch of other angles like flies or things with different strength curves better strength curves for the chest then i think that i could i could get more hypertrophy would you agree with that statement yeah i think so i mean we have to first ask ourselves like what is the goal of hypertrophy right like it's it's local, like we need to have local muscular strain. Um, now, then the question becomes, well, like, how can you get that any better with uh, a compound lift? Mm-hmm. And 
I guess the argument would be that you can you can handle more load and um, maybe it's safer. Like I, I don't even know if that would be a good argument. That like on the there's not so much load on one specific joint. Uh, but even then, you'd be decreasing. I mean, the talk to anyway. people who fucking throw a bunch of barbell bench <laughs> in their program. Yeah, their, their mean, elbows are generally going to go bonkers. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I when we consider like what's actually happening um, at a physiological level with hypertrophy and why someone actually grows, you realize that it has very little to do with the external stimulus, really. Um, it's it's like how can we? Yeah, your muscles don't know whether it's a barbell, a dumbbell, yeah. a cable. Like they don't know. They yeah. have no idea. So yeah, there's no real reason to be to be uh, pigeonholed into one particular thing. If you really enjoy doing it, like that's another thing. But I, it seems that yeah, like, I, I think the community aspect of it. I think one of the reasons that both of us don't let go of deadlifting, squatting, and benching is because the community that we've grown up with, the community that we that we still you know play this sport with that we all do that and so we want to be good at that so we can show up and play the game but i think if you're if you're not attached to that so if you have an entirely new generation that is not attached to that implement or that that training stimulus i don't know that it would be the best like maybe a safety squat bar would probably be the best strategy to load up a squat and then once you've run out of runway with that or, or even continuously like like a leg press might have a better strength curve, like things like there's plenty of other ways once you've gotten your quads sufficiently big from those compound lifts, once you've brought out. So that's the other thing I guess we run into is like with newbies, compound exercises are going to be way more efficient. Definitely. Because they don't have to spend time on these individual muscle groups, yeah. they can just you know they're going to grow no matter what. They're going to grow no matter what, so you might as well do the most efficient pattern. You might as well use compound lifts. Mm-hmm. But I think once once you get more advanced, then once you're pushing you know twenty plus sets, fifteen plus sets, maybe twenty five plus sets of, of volume, you're probably you're not going to be able to do that yeah, with those compound lifts. Yeah, for sure. Like that, that's definitely going to be limited at some. Point. And you don't even know how to count them. Like, what do you what do you fucking yeah, count? Totally. Yeah. What do you kind of squat as? Is that is that a is that a set for the quads and a set for the glutes? Like, what is what is that? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and so then I just think you you really keep your program kind of similar and then take your sets up see where your max adaptive volume is and then do all the things that we do with advanced trainees mm-hmm. um but this this idea that a compound and then maybe that's something that we that we need to talk about is so there's comp, there's performance in these compound lifts that's probably mostly ego and community driven and then there is the positions kind of this 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 other world so this we talked about earlier today we have the performance side of of lifting where it's like just lift as much weight as you can however you can do it mm-hmm. um and then you have this other kind of more scared realm of i think fear is the right word to use and that's more physical therapy based and that's like don't do anything if you're in the wrong position mm-hmm. and so i think we're trying to move those things together totally. um and so we've both taken a lot of courses that we probably have no business taking right mm-hmm. a lot of pt courses um and then brought some of those things back to the strength and conditioning room and so one of the big tenets that we always talk about is having you know having a, a head stacked on a rib cage stacked on a pelvis and then making sure that you manage an axial skeleton before you move an appendicular skeleton mm-hmm. and so we're willing to concede some bullshit on a squat, a deadlift, maybe yeah. not a deadlift, um, and a, and a bench. But I think that one thing that we that we both recognized in the in the last couple of years is that we can turn a lot of these accessory movements that people tend to butcher in the weight room. We can almost turn them into really really strenuous and challenging rehab exercises. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I think just the, just that concept in itself, like this stuff, can get extremely complicated when <laughs> you just start looking at jaws and like teeth and ears and eyes and all this shit like you can start going down a, a pretty crazy rabbit hole which i don't have any business speaking of but i think from just a very easy way to implement this is just like as you talked about just like having a, a thorax a sector repel it's like like there's no reason to do lat pull downs where you're like you you look like you're getting stabbed in the back like uh like it like there's 
there's just you no might get hypertrophy there. Like you I, absolutely I, will get hypertrophy because you're extending. There. You're getting. You're gonna have like that's the thing where we get in arguments with this. Like, what is biomechanically advantageous for the individual muscle versus like this idea of functional anatomy? Like, functional anatomy is how the whole body moves together, right? Mm. And so, like, yeah, you can you can do this hyperextended whatever, but there's there's going to be that's going to lead to you probably being locked in extension, and over time, that's going to you're going to be a backdoor PT client or front door PT client. I mean, I guess you just have to ask yourself, uh, like, where you want to pick your battles, right? Because mm-hmm. if, I mean, I'm, I can pretty much guarantee that if you train that way all of the time, like, you're eventually going to get stuck and you're eventually going to be in pain. That's just the way that these things work. When you lack variability in your movement, you just give yourself the get same overuse. feedback you all get the overuse time. Injuries. That's how that that is an overuse injury. Uh, like just understanding too, from a from a stress standpoint, like we want to be able to build up our stress tolerance just in general. The more systemic stress that we have, the less likely we are to carry out our training program. Like we need very local specific stress, especially when we're talking about hypertrophy. The generalized stress response is extension. So if you're constantly driving extension, you're constantly driving that signal to your brain that this is uh, not a good thing, that you're you're at, you're basically at your limit all of the time on a tricep extension, like I think you're sending a, a, a poor signal and I think that's eventually going to, to, to break you down in, in one way or another. Uh, and that, that's a whole different argument, but I think just from biomechanically, like if you just keep in mind that uh, there's certain times when you're going to have to deviate. When you do a bench press with your feet on the ground and you're trying to move a lot of weight in a, in a way that is not going to put a ton of stress on your shoulders if you are a, a you know a normal arm size lifter <laughs> like uh like if you have to move through some appreciable range of motion it probably makes sense to arch your back uh if you're trying to leverage your chest in a bench press and to feel your pecs even if you're doing it for hypertrophy you're probably going to want to arch so i'm going to take that in that position like i know i'm not highly axial load actually loaded in that position i'm laying down on my back gravity's not acting down upon me as it would in a squat uh so i will i will take that uh but in exchange i need to I need to get that back somewhere else. So if I'm doing a lying tricep extension, there is absolutely no reason why I can't find my hamstrings and my abs and reposition my pelvis as I go through that tricep extension. And and you can speak to this, like we've, we've changed these things up. Often when you do that, you actually feel the intended muscle more anyway. Uh, there's like less of an abs. energy leak. Like it's, it's really interesting Dude, to me. Then like, you don't have to spend all your time doing like these bullshit ab exercises or rehab exercises or fucking foam rolling all day. Because you're just reinforcing a good pattern when you're in the gym. And the gen pop loves feeling abs. Like they, they love feeling yeah, abs. As a trainer, yeah, if you're not doing that already, like this is something that can help to get a lot of buy-in. Uh, and often, like if you have clients coming in, they're feeling those things. Like if you're just giving them for back pain, especially like if, if they start to feel hamstrings and abs, a different sensation that they're not used to feeling, uh, regardless of what it's doing biomechanically, I would definitely make the argument that you are putting yourself in a better position. To, to move well and without pain. Um, but just the fact that you're giving them different sensory input that if they're not used to getting, they will probably walk out of the gym feeling better and they will probably want to walk back in and give you more money. And we don't have time to talk really about like sagittal plane muscles versus frontal plane muscles versus transverse plane muscles, which not I'll ever get to anyways. Uh, <laughs> would us for sure. We probably won't even get the frontal plane muscles. Yeah, maybe, throat, maybe, you know. maybe you'll get an adductor. Sure. Uh, maybe we might get a glute meat. We, we might be able yeah, to get a frontal plane. Um, no, the for that. December 13th and 20th. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think the, and, and Pat has, you know, multiple two day seminars on this. Zach Couples has, you know, a two day seminar on this. Bill Hartman, you can go to his intensive. These are people who have taken kind of, and they've taken these PRI principles and kind of brought them to the weight room, which I, which has been a huge piece for me in kind of integrating this idea of, of really, really, really integrating anatomy with with training, mm-hmm. um, not just not just like this bodybuilder anatomy of like this is what the biceps do, but really looking at the entire structure, looking at breathing, even looking at like when he's talking about teeth, he's talking about reference centers. He's talking like if you don't have like if you have a, if you don't have a molar, that might be worse than like losing a limb. Like that's maybe probably not true, but Ronism. it's a Ronism. But and so like these are these are big things. And so if we can if we can do what we can, I see it as we're fucking people up less. 
Yeah. Um, and, and we're going to, people that want to get bigger, there's going to be a price for that. You're going to lose movement options. Like as you get, maybe not all the time, maybe not for, but you're probably, it's healthy for you to lose some movement options as you get bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't, if you have, if you still have those movement options like me, so let's go back to the overhead pressing. Like with, with how my rib cage is positioned and how, where my shoulder, what my shoulders should be able to do, I should not be able to do an over, like I can keep a rib cage and go back here. Mm-hmm. So that means I've made some compensatory strategies in my shoulder from years of overhead squatting and Olympic lifting to make that be able to happen. That is not, I'm able to do it, but that is probably not a good thing. That, that is yeah. pathic. Yeah, I think that's what like gets lost often. And I think guys like Zach Couples and Pat Davidson and, and Bill, like you mentioned, are, are kind of bringing this, I have no idea if they're bringing it to the masses because I don't pay attention to, to anything outside of my own world, but they're at least getting people to understand that, hey, like just because you can move your limb in this position or, or you can do this particular thing doesn't mean that you should be able to. It doesn't mean that it's healthy. And uh, just because you have all this mobility or that you're getting all this mobility from this new intervention that you're using doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good thing and that it's that, that it's not any or that you're worse. really getting mobility. Yeah, are you even really getting it? Like, or, like where is it coming from? Or I, you know, I think that there's just like basic foundational things that you need to understand uh, about the way that your body's set up to be able to be successful with with the rest of the the sports that you're doing or, or training that you're doing. Um, I don't know that it to me. The the jump to sport is is a tough jump. Mm-hmm. Like the jump to the jump to the weight room is an easier jump to sure. me because because the jump to and even not in the weight room. Like I don't think that using these principles is necessarily going to make people stronger. Like I I don't think that. I think that it's going to potentially make them have a longer shelf life in in the sport that they love. Mm-hmm. I think that you can get really really strong, really really powerful doing stupid shit. I mean, that's proven. Like, watch the NFL Combine, watch some of those dudes. And in most cases, they're doing things the way that they should because they don't have another option. So I, I would just like, I mean, we have... Power is extension-based. Like, Yes, that's... absolutely. Like, in, and I think, like, I wouldn't want anyone to, without any guidance, to start doing the things that we're talking about. Like, just because I said, like, your knee should go forward when you squat does not mean that your knee should go forward when they squat. Like you need to actually learn how to manage the rest of your actual skeleton before you even attempt any of that stuff or else you're going to get into trouble. So if you're someone who squats with an arched back and their butt goes back first and that's the way you've squatted for a long time, I, yeah, I would try not to go in the way recommend doing that. Use that same that. weight with a knee forward squat. Yeah, like that's, that's going to be a recipe for disaster. And, and I think that a lot of times that when you hear of people that – that squat like that or do those exercises like that and they don't have any pain or they've never had any issues, I think for them it's probably the best strategy. I still think at some point that that strategy will wear out or maybe it won't. It depends on what they're trying to do. It depends on what their psychology is like and how far they're trying to take this thing. Um, it, it might not wear out if you do things in a, in a really, really smart way. And and like deload, you, you have to make a sacrifice somewhere. Which yes. I think, which I think is that what a, when I see these programs that are super, uh, that's what mm. I wonder is if we can mm. make our programs more efficient. Like, yeah. do we really need to deload every four weeks? If I'm if I'm able to keep you in a good position, I'm able to. Do, I don't think you need to. I think you can. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing I see with a lot of these programs is they're constantly deloading like every three or four weeks. And mm. I don't ever yeah. feel like I like joint wise or muscularly. I don't ever feel like I need that. Neither do I. That's a really interesting point. Like, so what, what would be, uh, we're going in like a totally different direction than we started, but this is cool. So what, what would you look at for like determining whether or not you actually need a deload? Like what should you be, what should you be feeling at that point? What should you be seeing at that point? If it, cause a lot of times what I hear with people when they say that it's time to do a deload, they're talking, my knees hurt. Well, a lot of a them joint. are saying joint, like my knees hurt, my back hurts. If I take this this uh, block of training, this mesocycle, whatever, another week, like my elbows start to hurt. Like mm-hmm. So it gets me wondering, like if we cleaned up things biomechanically, maybe we would be able to extend that shelf life, which I, I would agree with 100%, uh, just in the sense that we're just giving some variability to the system. But... Like where where would we when would we want to stop? Would it be psychological? Would that because in my mind I'm thinking if it like central should be driving this. Well, I, 
from what we do in like a bodybuilding world and like a hypertrophy world, even like powerlifting world, like I don't think central fatigue is really the thing. Um, I think of most everything is like peripheral fatigue. Mm-hmm. So if we're to me, where I would do a global deload is if someone like us doesn't want to train. Yeah. Like if okay. we psychologically don't want it. Like if mm-hmm. if we're not. And then I I would make the argument that you might be able to stay away from deloads entirely if you like kind of what we've been doing is if you kind of deload different muscle groups inside of different blocks. So you take you have a specificity specificity block where you're like right now we're working on lats and hamstrings. And so our lat volume is up to like 25, 20, 28 sets per week. And then our hamstring volume is the same thing. But our quad volume is at like 10. Like we don't do a lot of isolated quad volume and then our chest volume and, and our tricep volume and our, and our is down. Biceps are high because we have a lot of pulling um, invariably. But I think that we can, we can maybe, I think the amount of people that need uh, like global deloads, if you really have your shit in order and you are like a weightlifting robot, like I think we are. If you're not a weight, if you're not a training robot, then I think you're gonna need deloads more often, just because you're gonna under recover, you're gonna under sleep, you're gonna under eat. But I think if you have those boxes checked, to me, you can if you're just after hypertrophy and even, yeah, maybe strength too. I think you can treat things as more movement specific, and then use use your different blocks so that maybe you never even have to take a deload. And if you do have, if you do see performance driving down. And and say if you're on a if you're on a chest block and you see like you're you haven't progressed on your bench in the last two weeks, yeah, it might be time to to back that off. Like if you're not getting micro loading and you're not getting better. Um, but to me, if we have a reasonable setup for a program and we we chase hypertrophy in these specific regions and then use that time to back off on other regions and then come back at them, I th- I don't think like where people where I see people getting in trouble is you do try to do everything all the time. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's, that's what's worked, um, at least for me in the last year or so. And, and I think you've done a lot, you've added, you add more like work capacity blocks, which I think are, is another way to do this and that it's, it's a more systemic fatigue based model and less local muscular tension and less joint stress because you're using less weight and also kind of, um, it, it, you, the aerobic system, the temp, like your t- your ability to regulate temperature, become the limiters and not local muscular tissue. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of thrown in the towel from a hypertrophy standpoint for those four weeks. Mm-hmm. In in as a so that is essentially a deload mm-hmm. for your musculoskeletal system. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're getting some other adaptations at that time. You're probably one of the big things you come back. You what we've seen is people come out of these work capacity blocks and they're perceived exertion is so low for regular stuff yeah like you just come back to like doing straight sets you're like Fuck, this, this is good this yeah. is easy I, I think just again that comes back to just like that systemic fatigue thing that that could be potentially a limiter and that like it's just training i would, just I would say that that to me is like just perceived exertion yeah and that and so i guess you know the terminology is probably off it's just that if you if you're if you're having to if you're getting a lot of anxiety like because when you're doing these these types of work capacity blocks there is a lot of anxiety going into those workouts like there is you're just almost like, competing you're, yeah your perceived stress is very high whether it be real or not like and then when you drop that um you why did she go up dude I'm a nest nest getting so well, that's, hot that's why I need a small oh my small fell off too. you don't even have what happened what happened I need to put mine on I think once you once you drop off that those big workouts is like uh, those workouts that keep you up at night when you're thinking about doing the next day. I, I, like, I definitely, you know, I, I think that that it becomes a, like just a huge load off and that allows you to, to adapt to the, to the, the following training load or the training block. Uh, you know, th- this concept of, of, uh, you know, super compensation or, or phase potentiation is, is, is more of a, a concept at this point. Like I don't, it hasn't really been proven to be a real thing, but it, it seems just at least from a psychological standpoint, I, I think there's a lot of validity to it. What do you mean by that? Like, keep going. In terms of just being able to go from one phase, take adaptations, or uh, so that that phase potentiation would just be taking an adaptation from one training block and carrying it over to the next block to build upon it. So, like the simplest example would be like if you did more of an aerobic training block. Does that those aerobic adaptations allow you to handle more volume for the, so the subsequent phases? That may or if may your not limiter is is yeah. is metabolites or mm-hmm. aerobic system, mm-hmm. which you could argue that if you're 
just after hypertrophy, those are probably not your limiting things. Um, but even so, like, so my argument would be that even if that isn't a limiter, every once in a while, I think you need to pull away from just like hammering that nail. Because yeah. uh, I, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, three to four weeks of a work capacity block, and keep in mind, like we're not eliminating uh, like exercises, like you're not eliminating you're still, mechanical tension, you're, yeah, you're still, still getting still. enough. Like the amount of, of volume and, and mechanical tension that you need to maintain muscle mass is so small. That three to four weeks of that, I'm not really too concerned I mean, about it. You could it. probably maintain with what, like six to eight sets, I think? Ten yeah, it's, sets it's a week. Like it's like crazy, it's, it's crazy low. low. Yeah. So you're not going to lose anything, but I think what you do gain, if even if you don't want to, even if you don't agree with the uh, phase potentiation concept, which I, I don't necessarily agree with that, um, but you, I think you're definitely gaining a, a psychological component to it that you're, again, you're reducing anxiety for, like, you know that you have this different level now and that these workouts are going to be fairly easy when you go back to hypertrophy training and you're, you're psyched to do it. Like you're excited to go back into training. And I've, I've taken a lot of people through these, these types of training blocks and it almost inevitably leads to them doing a little bit more than they were previously. And that's really all that I care about. You can make the argument of course that they would have gotten there anyway. Um, but I just, I don't think you can ever underestimate the, uh, the potential of psychology and all this <laughs> like yeah people need novelty like i mean that's as much as like we like to to believe that uh, the ideal thing is just the just hammering in on the same uh these the same quality forever uh it just doesn't i don't know that it really works that way and i think some people like just need more novelty than others but even sure. those who don't they probably can still benefit from some i i know i the i dread them um, but I really do enjoy them and they generally like even us doing the 3060, like it was fun talking to Evan and I know we're gonna have Evan on. I think there's some people that are just going to get big no matter what the fuck they do. Uh, and, and those are the people that just get jacked doing like 95 pound thrusters. Like how, like that just like defies like what we know. Like there's not like these CrossFitters who are you know, have FMIs of 27, 28. Like, yeah, they, maybe they used to be football players or whatever, but they still got jacked doing a, a lot of other stuff, like just a ton of metabolic work. And so I, I think that there are these anomalies that we, we can't necessarily account for. And, and then we can get, I don't want to be evidence limited, I guess, is, is, is my big thing. And so, yeah, like muscular tension is probably the key, but we don't even really know what, like we probably shouldn't even be saying hypertrophy at this point. We should just be saying muscles get just more get bigger, bigger. Yeah, yeah. because we don't rest. We don't really know what's happening at the, at the cellular level mm -hmm. of, 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 of what's going on from how muscles get bigger. Is it sarcoplasmic? Is it just mitochondrial mass? Is it there's, So there's so much stuff that we de don't necessarily know. Um, so, and, and so the things that we do know, are that you being able to move more weight and, and more exercises. This is like a Ronnie, like we, the simple side of complexity. So the simple side of simple is dangerous. And then if you can kind of get to the simple side of complexity, maybe you're not as dangerous. So if you can, live, if you can move more weight for more reps for more exercises, you're probably going to get bigger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you can. And in a, in a better position. Yeah. So whatever that means to get there, really. And that could mean a lot of different things for different people. Uh, yeah, it's it's a there's it was really cool talking to Evan because he got me thinking about just a lot of different things outside of the box of, of what we would normally consider to be hypertrophy training. Yeah, and he's got some some legit big dudes like yeah, who don't it, do anything like yeah. that we do. Yeah, and like so it's it, it makes me think two things like a well hey maybe it's all just genetic and it doesn't really matter what the fuck we do like we're all just gonna get to to our cap one way or another like and I I can see that argument honestly. Um, but I, I like to think of things as being a little bit more exciting than that. And, and I, I think that they are and that there's probably just a lot of things that we don't know yet because you always see these, these outliers and, you know, they are outliers, but there's still something going on there that we don't really understand yet. And that's kind of exciting. So there might be this whole other realm of possibilities that we haven't really figured out yet. So it's kind of cool to have crossover from, from completely different sides. I mean, like hypertrophy would be one of the last goals for a crossfitter i mean it, yeah it, it actually did it's often, probably deleterious so, yeah to a certain extent. yeah so but it's kind of cool to 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 see uh 
just their point of view and that makes you kind of think about what what we could be doing differently or you know potentially better um so I, it's always fun to talk to those those kind of people damn i think i think the big things that we that we wanted people to get out of this were compound lifts you might run on a runway and if you get advanced you probably will run on a runway and those you probably don't want to take the the volume that you have on your compound lifts down you don't care about powerlifting you don't if you if you've kind of like me i've kind of given up on this idea of like squatting more weight like for a one rep max like i just don't really give a fuck mm. i don't care um and so if you've gotten to that point then it becomes how do you maintain your squat performance and how do you if you if you are really after to me i'm 33 gonna have a kid um if to in the back of my mind if i ever can't lift I know I'm an asshole. Like, and I, I mean that in like, I'm grumpy. Like if I, if I can't train, I'm grumpy. Training is my anchoring habit. So I don't want to ever not be able to train. And some people are like, oh, if you can't take a week off the gym, you have a problem. Well, I don't ever take a week off of meditation. I don't ever take out, I don't need to take time away from things that hold my world together. Like I have no desire. Like I don't need to test that philosophy. Uh, like, yeah, I think if you took me away from the gym, I'd be fine. And figures, probably not. Um, <laughs> I, I love to you train. Do I, I do a lot of steps. I, I love to train, and so I think if if we're really after longevity in and not longevity in the sense of living forever, but longevity in the sense of doing this for as long as possible, I think that you really want to take a good look at what are my positions. Am I stuck in some kind of pattern, and is that pattern probably going to lead to pain and my inability to lift? Um, and so that's why I think a lot of using these, these more physical therapy based strategies for your accessory work or even your compound movement work, um, it don't, can be really, really helpful. Um, and, and then getting to, I think Bill and, and Pat, and Pat probably the best has, has really taken what would be, I think a fragility based model and turned it into a more anti-fragility based model um, and brought those same strategies to the weight room and then loaded them up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think you need to learn that stuff at some point, ideally in the beginning. And if you do, then it can just lead you to this path of unconscious confidence that you, where you can just rip things and you're still getting exactly what you want out of those those exercises. So I don't I don't think that the two are mutually exclusive. I don't think that in, internal cueing is the only way you do it or external cueing is the only way you do it. I think it's just like it's a spectrum. It's exercise based. Mm -hmm. It's uh, experience based. It's goal based, and I, I think that ultimately they can all come together as one at some point. I think the goal would be to to be able to have as much of an external driver in as many exercises as you as you can, while still doing things as you would back when you were while just still being on able to find training. and feel stuff if you need to at absolutely. Yeah, I think that's the goal. Uh, solid wrap up. Yeah, appreciate and, you guys. Um, it's been fun. 53 minutes deep if you're still here um ryan and i will continue jamming on these uh, i don't know what these are complex topics but uh interesting topics to us um so pura vida yeah let us know if you guys uh would prefer shirts off next yeah. time we had a little bit of a discussion about Snafu, it in the beginning, you know? but uh we could we could definitely go shirts off we, we already had no pants on so <laughs> but let us know but uh thank you guys for listening let us know if uh there's anything else you want us to cover Otherwise, we're done. We're, That's this, it. This is it. Seven. Last one. <laughs>